If you identify as more with the masculine and have yet to take any kind of action or even speak up during this time when women identifying people need us the most, I encourage you to listen to Tupac, Keep Your Head Up. So here, I'll just do the emotional labor. You know what makes me unhappy? that when brothers make babies and leave a young mother to be a pastor. And since we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, and I came from a woman. I wonder why we take from our women, why we rape our women, do we hate our women? I think it's time to kill for our women, time to heal our women, be real to our women. And if we don't, we'll have a race of babies that will hate the ladies that make the babies. And since a man can't make one, he has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies. But keep your head up. I just played that off of the uh, Tupac topic on YouTube. And shout out to Let's Talk Bro podcast for breaking down emotional labor in a way that I understand on their podcast. This came out in 1998, and look where we are now. We got to do better. We got to speak out to protect what's right and not be scared of saying the wrong thing just because, you know, our intention really speaks out for us as well. We got to consider the outcomes of saying the wrong thing, and if you do, do the work correct yourself and deal with whatever consequences and then just do better we got to show the women around us that we can be trusted we can protect them and it's fucked up that we live in a world where we have to do that but at the same time like we also have to be able to just earn their support by investing in the emotional labor ourselves for once women do so much emotional labor for men and for the women identifying folks i know y'all already do a lot y'all do a lot of emotional labor for male identifying people so we need y'all to just do one more thing and that's just remind us that we are strong enough to speak out and when we do that we have your support to lead and fight this battle with you Before you say, I always encourage and support men, and I'm tired of it, just let me elaborate. That energy has to be extended to the kind men in your life and around you. Not just the ones that you want something from, but those leaders who may seem hesitant to do what naturally comes to them, like lead courageously with decisiveness for the sake of protecting what's right. The hesitance is really holding us back, and it's something that's held me back as well. And for the men out there, if you don't know what to do, find out. Look at credible sources online. Share your solutions with women around you and see what they think. But don't make them do it for you. Don't ask them, what can I do, if you haven't already looked into what you can do. My own solution is just for leaders to step up. I mean, it's not a exact solution but it's a step in the right direction it's for whatever the whatever it is that needs to happen in order to protect what's right that's what needs to happen the system of oppression clearly views women sexuality hell even women period as objects and the energy that you heard from Pac, that energy that you hear from me take that with you into this weekend, this week, whenever you listen to it. As you listen through this podcast, take it and women, I ask 
a lot of you, but knowing that I have your support gives me the strength to be able to do this. When I say the wrong thing, you correct me. I thank you for it. I do the work. I correct my shit. I apologize and I do better. Do this for the men around you. Share this with the good ones, the leaders, the wise ones, the mature ones, the ones who demonstrate willingness to protect. And that just means leading action to make right the wrongs that have been done against you. The infighting about who's suffering now and who needs action taken. Or the problems are all out there. The solution is also, and somewhere in that, that silence, somewhere in that indifference, and the, the well, it doesn't affect me, that's where the solution is. Ellie Wazell is a Holocaust survivor, and he said, well, he said, he passed away, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Indifference in this silence from men thinking we're unaffected or not qualified to speak on a woman's right to their own bodies. And because they're angry at us. Hell yeah, they're angry. Understand why and then fix it by being part of the solution. Now, most of my listeners identify as women or queer women or just let's just say not all the way straight women. That's the majority of the women who um, I speak with or engage with uh, in private messages. And this is my attempt. This is my attempt to lead. This is my attempt to speak up. Help the good men around you, the good masculine identifying folks tap into that that natural masculinity, that natural response to protect what's right. Let them know that they can take that protective action for you, for your rights, and that you support them should they fear saying the wrong thing like I am now. And as you go through this episode about women's reproductive health and choice, understand that this is this is just one way that men can show up and support, and that's just by taking the time to understand and lend whatever power, platform, uh, tools you have in order to help get us closer to a solution. All right. Now, what is cytomegalovirus, Lindsay? So it is a virus. Um, It's in like the herpes simplex family. So like chicken pox or something like that. Um, It's super, super common, but nobody's ever heard of it. before I got pregnant, I had never heard of it. And it's very common, so anyone can get it. Most people have already been exposed to it. And you have, like, cold-like symptoms or flu-like symptoms when you do get it. And it's not dangerous unless you're pregnant. So when you're pregnant, because your immune system's compromised, it can pass through the placenta and affect your unborn baby. And so... Um, for my case and a lot of other cases that like other moms that I've met, they have the same thing. So in the beginning of my pregnancy, I contracted the virus and it affected my baby while he was in utero and trying to grow. Now, Um, how is cytomegalovirus transmitted? Is it transmitted just skin to skin contact? It's not skin to skin. It's actually through bodily fluids. So most commonly it's through saliva. Um, And, you know, it can be through, like, changing diapers and not washing your hands. Um, But for my particular case, it was through saliva. Um, 
I, doctors 100% think that I got it from my son who was three at the time. Sharing utensils, kissing people, sharing drinks, sharing chopstick, things like that. So your son was a carrier of the virus? Yes, he was in daycare and they think that that's where he caught it because it's so common that my son didn't even act like he was sick. There was nothing wrong with him. But Mm -hmm. because I was pregnant, um, it affected the baby. Got it. And was there a treatment after you found out about it for your uh, three-year-old son? Um, There is some... It is more of a study for pregnant people um, because they're not 100% sure if it works. And by the time I found out, it was too late for me to join the study. So I wasn't able to participate in any type of treatment during pregnancy. So it just um, ran its course essentially with your son. So you didn't have any symptoms at all, but passed the virus on to you and everything was just fine for him? My older son who got it was fine. I didn't yes. know he was sick. And then he gave it to me in the beginning of my pregnancy and I thought that I had like really bad morning sickness. I lost about 38 pounds from not eating and throwing up. And I kept trying to tell my doctor, like, you know, something's wrong. Like, I was never this sick with my first pregnancy. And he kind of just, like, brushed it off as, you know, morning sickness. It was like, here's some pills. Take these. But I just, like, wasn't getting better with the pills. Um, And what sucks is that there's a blood test you can do that would have told me, this is what you have. You know, and I could have been eligible to try the test, you know, to do the um, test trial of the other medication, but I just wasn't being heard by my doctor. And, um, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to plug in like why it's important for us to take ownership of our own health. You know, your body, if something's not right, I'm finding a lot of people who have similar instances where someone's newly diagnosed and they felt like they've had something weird going on with whatever their symptoms are with their bodies. After seeing a doctor again and again, they're just dismissed or brushed off. Yes. And that's exactly what happened to me. I was just, I couldn't get out of bed. I had a hard time, like taking care of my family, Mm -hmm. you know, taking care of my son because I was so sick. And I just was like, are you sure that this is morning sickness? There's nothing wrong with me. And I just kept getting brushed off. Yeah. So, um, I went to my 20 week appointment and for those people who haven't been pregnant, the 20 week appointment is where they do the anatomy scans, make sure everything's growing right. They tell you what you're having. If you don't already know, um, it's like the big long appointment. So we go to meet a specialist to do that and it kind of takes a while and I'm, you know, don't think anything of it. And they tell me the doctor's going to come in to talk to me afterwards. Okay. So the doctor comes in and she says, okay, well, we have some red flags that came up in your ultrasound and I don't want you to worry, but there's something wrong with the baby. So, you know, immediately I'm like, oh God, you know. (laughs) you like your mind goes in the worst place. And so she says that there's a couple tests we have to do and asked if I had gotten a blood test at the beginning of my pregnancy. And I hadn't. Um, and so right then and there, like before she even tested me, she said, um, I have a doctor here at the hospital that I think it'd be best if you transfer to. And so I was like, okay. And she's like, you know, if you were so sick, you should have been tested and not dismissed. So I think you should switch doctors. So that was like a huge red flag, like that I was not being listened to or taken care of by my previous doctor. So they do a blood test and I get results back 
like a few days later saying that like my baby didn't have down syndrome or any of the trisomy um like deficiencies or whatever and so um it was came positive for cmv and so she told me don't look it up don't freak out but we should do an amniocentesis to see if it's passed through the placenta because that's when we need to worry so scheduled an amniocentesis and they did that to me and it came back positive so my son had been affected his head was not growing on the curve. So his head was about three weeks behind what it should have been. He had a cyst in his brain and his like um, brain wasn't developing. It wasn't growing in spots it was supposed to. Um, and so we were offered to go, um, we live in Austin, Texas. So we were offered to go to Houston, Texas to the Baylor um, hospital to get a fetal MRI to see what was going on in the baby's brain to see if it was like, you know, what, what our next step should be basically. Okay. Um, so we went there, went to the, do the MRI and the doctor sat us down in a room, me and my husband down in a room and told us basically that my son was going to be brain dead, that he was going to be a vegetable. He'd never laugh. He'd never smile. He would probably never breathe on his own. Um, he'd never walk he'd never talk so it was just a huge you know weight of like it was just like a heavy feeling knowing that like okay my kid's gonna have these lifelong disabilities and I was about 29 weeks at this time and they offered to send us out of state to get a an abortion to abort the pregnancy um and we kind of talked over and we just felt like for us that wasn't what we wanted to do you know, he had a 60% chance of even living. Like he, they thought he would just die and I would just have to deliver a stillbirth. Um, and so for us, we were just like, you know, we're already so far into this. We picked a name. We're just gonna, whatever happens, happens. So if he's meant to be here for no time, then that's what will be. If he's meant to be here for a few minutes on earth, that's what it's meant to be. Um, and so we went through the pregnancy, um, had a pretty scary delivery. He wasn't breathing. Um, and then we had like a huge team of NICU nurses that were just awesome and, uh, were able to hook him up to oxygen. And he spent about a month of his life in the NICU, um, which wasn't too bad. He came home on oxygen and he does have lifelong effects of the CMV and all because I wasn't you know, no one tested me. No one told me about it. You know, there was, it, it's a hundred percent preventable. I, I would have known I could have been, you know, more cautious about sharing drinks or kissing and, you know, things like that. I could have taken more of a precaution to avoid getting it. I'm glad your son's here. I'm glad that you were able to have that choice in going through with the pregnancy. What are some of the effects? My son is almost three. He develops like a three month old. He does not walk. He does not talk. He can say mama. So that's, you know, a positive. He has something called microcephaly where his head is just so small. You think of like the Zika virus, you know, how like babies are born with small heads. <laughs> this is very subjective, but I think every baby's head coming out of where it's coming from is huge. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. So his head doesn't even hit like a growth chart. He's like below even any growth chart on his head. Um, 
He has uh, cerebral palsy. He has um, hearing loss, which is actually the most common red flag when babies are born for CMV is if they have hearing loss. So he is deaf in his left ear. He is um, considered legally blind. He has like cortical visual impairment. So his brain doesn't process what he's seeing right away. It takes like a few minutes. Um, and he has epilepsy, like a really severe form where he's on like three different medications. And he um, is fed through a feeding tube and he's in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people see him and they think he's a baby, even though he's like really tall and big for his age. He, people think essentially he's just a baby because he doesn't talk and he doesn't, um, you know, communicate like a normal, almost three-year-old would. That all said, the only way that you would have known was had you specifically asked for this or had you just had a more knowledgeable doctor or what like how can we help mothers parents in the future to just know because i would have never thought to have gotten any sort of a test and here we are we're talking about something in the family of herpes which is perceived most commonly as an sti this was something that you got from just kissing sharing utensils with your three-year-old child and that's just not something that we even consider exactly there's little to no knowledge about it. Um, I had no idea what it was. And doctors do know about it, but they don't want to freak people out. Um, when we, my specialist who did my exam, she had asked the doctor, why didn't you just test her? You know, it would have been a simple blood test. And he's like, I didn't want to freak her out. She was already worried about, you know, being so sick and losing so much weight. I feel and like that was more of a reason to do it now. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so slowly but surely, states are starting to require this test to be done at the beginning of pregnancy. So Texas is finally one of them. We finally got it passed, you know. But if this is so common, why wasn't it tested for? I'm not sure why we're not doing it. I, I don't know. Um, hmm. Other moms and other people who have been affected from CMV are trying to rally to get all the states to have it as a required thing. So now it is required. So I just had another baby and it was required when I went in for my first pregnancy test. Mm -hmm. so now, I did get a blood test. So are you just positive for CMV now? Yes. It's okay. always going to be in my body. Um, it can reactivate, but I'm, I'm always going to have it. Mm -hmm. so, so you're... So you're, um, is there medication to suppress symptoms at all? So is it just every now and then you may just get sick and it's like, oh, my CNV is flaring up? Um, it's, there's no medication for it. Um, and it's so mild when you're not pregnant that you don't need anything to treat it. So oh. it would just be like, I could get a cold and I don't know if I'm, I just have a cold or if my CNV flared up. Yeah. Same with my son. He's always going to be a carrier. Mm -hmm. So if he gets a little cold, I don't know if he has a runny nose and a cough because he just has a cold or if it's his CMV that's active again. Yeah. Um, and the only way to know that is to test his blood to see if his levels are high. But usually they don't mm -hmm. do that because no one's pregnant. Got it. So at, what was your pregnancy like with your following child? You said you just had another child and that child wasn't affected by the CNV. So yeah. going into this pregnancy, you knew that you had CNV. You're going through the pregnancy. Um, 
So what was what was different about this pregnancy? Were you treated or given any kind of medication or better monitoring or what? Um, I was monitored a little closely, probably I think for my own sanity because I had the a new the doctor that I had last time towards the end of my pregnancy and my specialist. So they were very assuring for me because you know I didn't know if I could handle another severely affected kid. Um, but I was at like, you know, at ease knowing that, okay, I was tested right off the bat. And of course my levels came back that I did have CMV, but my levels weren't active. Um, so that was, I felt, okay, we're good, you know, and then monitored my whole pregnancy. And then towards the end, it was just kind of, they monitored me like normal. They didn't do anything extra or anything special. And, um, when we went to the hospital and had the baby, the hearing test, I told the doctors, if she fails her hearing test, I want her urine tested to make sure that she is not have active CMV because that is, the, like I said before, the hearing loss is one of the um, most common like factors. Um, most kids have hearing loss if they have CMV. Um, and she passed her hearing test, so we didn't do any further testing with her. So she, and she's developing normal for a six week old. Mm. So there was really no difference except for during the last pregnancy, you got sick and didn't know what it was. But like, how did, again, it was just something that had to run its course. There was no medication or treatment for it. Or was there anything that could have been done to prevent you from uh, having complications with the baby as a result of your own CNV flaring up during pregnancy? Um. The only thing that we could have done is done cytogam, but the, like it's a tested thing. It's not, they're trying to figure out if that will, you know, help the baby in utero. And some people swear by it and said that it worked for them. But by the time we found out, it was just, I was too far along. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they wouldn't do anything for me because you have to have like three infusions of it. Um, but they do start newborns on the cytogam, like after they're born so that they don't, um, continue to have the virus affect their little bodies yeah. Uh, because they're so weak that it could keep affecting their brain. It could keep making them lose their hearing or their vision. So they start that. Usually most kids are on it for six months after birth. Moving forward with your youngest, everything's just perfectly fine. Yes, which a lot of people who do have CMV are scared to have other kids because, you know, they don't know if they can handle another kid who's severely affected or... You know, they don't want their kids to suffer, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense. Yeah. And for you, in your case, I mean, you, your child um, who was affected by the CNV has more life than what the doctor sat you down and told you, right? Definitely. Um, we expected the worst. Um, we expected him to not take him home. And he smiles. He laughs. He says, Mama. He has, like, such a vibrant personality and he's very aware and alert of everything around him and so you know we're glad that we decided to continue with the pregnancy because we did have the option to abort Mm. and I do know personally know women who chose not to go through with their pregnancies because it's so it's scary to get a diagnosis like that when you're pregnant Mm -hmm. and it's also important to be able to have that choice of what you want to do uh, moving forward and I'm glad that you were able to talk through that with your husband and make a decision that you were happy with and uh, how old is he now? He is almost three. Three years. He'll be three in June. That's awesome. So we got three years as opposed to, what'd you say, like even if he was there for three minutes? Yeah, a few minutes. They yeah. didn't expect him 
they didn't even know if he would if I would birth a live child, basically, yeah. is what they told me. Okay. Are you participating in any studies now um, with your children, either of them? I'm not, um, but I do um, advocate for CMV. So, you know, um, going down to the Capitol, things like that, trying to get it pa- the bills passed so that women are tested. Um, okay. But we're not in any studies right now. Yeah. And so does this affect male identifying individuals as well or only people who are able to get pregnant? It is only people who are pregnant Okay. where it would affect their unborn baby. So if you were to catch CMV, you wouldn't know. You would probably have no idea unless you got a cold and you're like, give me a blood test. Okay. So um, most people don't know. The only reason we're having issues with this virus is when it passes through the placenta to an unborn baby. All right. So if you're not pregnant, this could have just not affected you. Like you could have just resisted the virus is what I'm hearing. And I'm very thankful that you were able to give me some insight here and get this conversation going. Because while this podcast is specifically around sex positivity, I think that we can't talk sex positivity without talking about reproductive health as well. So thank you so much for being open and willing to speak with me and share your story. And you have another advocate making sure that people are aware of it. Thank you so much for letting me like come and talk and like giving me a platform to kind of like advocate so that people are aware. Absolutely. I think it's important. It is. It is. Um, Is there anything else that you want to leave us with? think so if you are trying to get pregnant or you find out that you're pregnant ask for a test ask for a blood test ask them to test you for cmv it's better to know so that you can you know be on top of it and take proper um precautions and maybe be able to um get medication while you're pregnant so that your kids are less affected okay and do you have any resources you suggest as far uh for anyone who may need to or who may think that they're experiencing something like this, or even if there's some sort of a mom's support group um, for anyone who may be living with CNV? Okay. Um, we There is a Facebook page called CMV Mommies. It's not exclusive to just moms. Um, it was made years ago. Okay. Um, there's thousands and thousands of people on there. And there's also the National CMV Foundation, Um, so that is a website. It has tons of facts on there, tons of, um, information about CMV and it's more from like a, um, medical professional standpoint instead of like, you know, hearing it from like someone who has it, but it's got tons of information, tons of resources, people you can contact. Um, and so that would be a good place to start. All right. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you haven't already, please go and check out Waxo, W-A-X-O-H. It is a digital magazine platform, and you can find a lot of the writing that I do on there. Um, I talk in a little bit more detail about subsets of show topics, where uh, last week we talked about the program that I took from Dr. Stephanie K. Webb, the founder of... Um, unscripted relationships. I talk a little bit about what I found there, um, and it was very useful to helping navigate 
an introduction to open relationships. In fact, that's what the course is called, Introduction to Open Relationships. Um, I've learned a little bit of interesting stuff there about monogamy, and um, I had my mind blown away by more of the details of non-monogamy outside of what I just assumed and outside of what I've talked to other people about. So um, if you're looking for more information about non-monogamy, go and check out that article. And it's just called Two Halves Don't Make a Whole. This concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. I can be found on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, Reddit, at H on my chest. We are selling t-shirts for something positive for positive people. And if you want one, it's just $25. Just contact me via direct message or um, you can just post anywhere or however you need to get in touch with me. I'm in the process of making the website and I'm using the funds that we get in in order to get things up and running so that I can begin the fundraising process while I wait on the uh, paperwork to come back that we are officially a nonprofit, so I'm just speaking it into existence at this point. I'll know for sure in about 70-something days whenever I get whatever paperwork is needed. So if you're someone who wants to volunteer or figure out how to get involved with something positive for positive people, um, you can contact me now. Let me know what it is that you can offer to the team. Uh, right now it's just me, and I have a few people that I work with uh, who are just consulting me and helping me go in the right direction so that I'm able to provide mental health resources for anyone who's newly diagnosed, who may be struggling with their diagnosis, and to get me to a place where I can help uplift uh, organizations that provide free to low-cost sex education, STI testing, STI treatment, and of course, uh, condoms, barriers, and birth control. So what this looks like in the bigger picture is being able to get sex educators to speak at schools, colleges, and for people who need sex education to get the one-on-one consulting they need, anyone who's dealing with any sort of trauma around their diagnosis or sexuality, I can direct them to the one-on-one resources that they need, as well as different social support groups uh, to just uh, there's so many different elements of this healing process and through something positive for positive people and with all the support that we've received so far up to this point it's it's all possible it's all been made possible uh, thanks to you all so thank you and um, you can also become a patreon a patron if you go to patreon.com slash SPFPP. Shout out to Emily, who's our first patron ever. (laughs) Thank you so much, girl. Till next time, stay sex positive.